If you're in a brush community, we're seeing these HOAs being impacted by 50, upwards of 100% plus increases. When you look at 10% increases across the board, typically we're looking at mid to high rise condominiums that are what we call HPR risks, your highly protected risks. So if you look at Texas, they're looking at floods and potential hurricanes, depending on the location. And what happens if there's a, um, an association that finds itself in a position where it can't get insured? What do they do then? Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I am Matthew Holbrook, and uh, this episode is going to be focusing on what should you be planning on and expecting with regard to insurance premiums? And here to talk about this very important subject today is Jonathan Naranjo of New Front Insurance. So Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today and being part of this episode. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure. And the timing is perfect since we are in the throw of budget season. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I know that... Uh, uh, a lot of associations are specifically looking at their budgets and wondering what should we plan on uh, with respect to insurance premiums. There's a lot that is going on um, just as far as what people are talking about and anticipating. Um, so hoping that you could help to give a little bit more of uh, uh, of a foundation for how to think about this type of a subject. So starting off, um, what would be your general comments for just your your general run-of-the-mill homeowners association as to what should they be thinking and um, budgeting for with respect to insurance premiums? Sure, and I think it's an important question. Right to the point, expect an increase. In today's environment where we are at a high in terms of inflation and every line item when I'm talking to board members and general managers Every line item seems to be going up to run these great communities. Well, it's no different in terms of insurance. Insurance costs are continuing to rise. Property being the most precarious. Property, again, for the 22nd consecutive quarter, uh, continues to be going up in terms of cost. There are two main components to that. Number one, we are in a very tough economic time in terms of inflation. But number two, many of these property insurers are looking to right size or take on rate by increasing values to make sure it's commensurate with today's environment. Many of our governing documents and CCNRs that we review for communities, it's clear that board members have an obligation to insure the property at 100% its replacement cost value. It's a fiduciary condition. And so we are seeing increases across the board there. From a percentage basis, if we just look at the HOA business generally, and Matthew, we can break it down between high rise, mid rise, garden style, plan unit development. But generally speaking, the conversations that we're having is on a conservative basis, budget 10% in terms of an increase. Now, there are a variety of different factors that can change that projection, but I think Given today's environment with what we are seeing with limited insurers specializing 
in community associations and HOAs, 10% is a conservative number that you can budget and expect when your renewal terms come. So Jonathan, just with what I have been hearing in the insurance market as it relates to HOAs and what I'm even hearing anecdotally from board members who talk about the subject, um, many of them uh, would view 10% as um, uh, a welcome number. In other words, I think many of them are anticipating much larger increases than 10%. Uh, could you speak to that? Uh, um, I don't want to like box you in on a specific number, um, but I, I can I can tell you that I, I I hear from a number of board members that are anticipating even more significant increases. Um, maybe speak to to that expectation. Absolutely. Well, let's let's take a couple of factors that may contribute to a much greater increase than ten percent. When you look at ten percent increases across the board. Typically, we're looking at mid to high-rise condominiums that are what we call HPR risks, your highly protected risks. So these are your fully or partially sprinklered buildings that are non-combustible construction, are reinforced steel concrete, and happen to be in downtown urban locations like Los Angeles and San Francisco, for example. Now, if you're a plan unit development, however, and you have a beautiful community, but you're in what we call a wildfire or a high brush fire exposed zone, well, that 10% would absolutely be a welcome number. If you're in a brush community, we're seeing these HOAs being impacted by 50 upwards of 100% plus increases because many of the insurers, when it comes to wildfire, particularly in California, have pulled out completely. And so now we have a deficit in terms of capacity available. And to try to get that 100% replacement cost in a high brush fire zone may not, may not be available. And the pricing is sometimes triple digits in terms of an increase compared to what you saw before. That's creating a lot of strain in terms of budget, but ultimately homeowners that now have to cover a huge special assessment just to cover the insurance costs. So Jonathan, when we say uh, that an association could expect a 10% increase or or safely budget with 10%, we're talking about homeowners associations that are not these high risk, mid and high rises in densely populated urban areas that have deficiencies, at least based on uh, current codes, let's say, with respect to sprinklering or something like that. Um, that would be an exception to the 10%. And then communities that are in um, high uh, wildfire risk areas, that would be a really large exception to that, that 10% uh, estimate. Do, do I have that outlined clearly and accurately? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct, Matthew. And what I, would, what I would also add to that is we're looking at performance. When underwriters are reviewing renewals, even if you're not in a wildfire exposed zone, and this is, this is, adequate to PUDs, mid-high-rises, you name it, as long as it's an association, they're looking at a five-year loss trend. That 10% figure is assuming, number one, you're not in a brush zone that has high wildfire exposure. Number two, you've been performing favorably, meaning the community and the association has uh, managed losses very well, and they're performing with a clean loss history or a very mild one. Now, if you're running a temperature and you have a frequency issue, 
Let's take one of the number one culprits of losses, tends to be water damage or escape liquids in these communities. If you're running a temperature and you're having a couple of losses a year and there's a frequency issue, that percentage increase can go from 10% blended to 25% plus easily. Not to mention, if it's a water-related event that's occurring frequently, your water damage deductible now will be reevaluated and oftentimes it can go from 25,000 upwards of $100,000 per occurrence if those losses are not maintained. So it's your geographical location, right? We, we take on, you have properties in Texas, for example, Matthew. So if you look at Texas, they're looking at floods and potential hurricanes, depending on the location. Houston, for example, tends to be problematic and prone to heavy flooding simply because of hurricanes and what we've seen in prior history but also windstorm and hail, named windstorm. So all of these factors are going into underwriting that have major implications and impacts in terms of what the budget is going to be and what you could expect at renewal. So I guess that, that comes back to this question of um, what should a board be budgeting? So, um, you know, viewers and listeners to this episode are going to latch on to that 10% number. Um, but really, the those that would be safe budgeting a 10% increase are going to be those, again, that are not um, not in the urban areas with, with the other risks associated um, with in a, in a high rise or a mid rise. And those uh, who are not in a wildfire or other, uh, maybe what we would put natural disaster kind of a, of a zone. Um, so those that are, let's maybe uh, pick that apart just a little bit. Let's say you you are um, a community that is located in a a high risk wildfire zone. Um, you were saying uh, it could be possible that insurance premiums could even double in that type of a zone, even with no previous um, uh, claims in the previous five years. Um, what would you recommend as far as what should a board be thinking through and how should they budget if they're in that situation? It's, it's a great question. It, communication and collaboration, those are two quality themes that we talk about to our insureds and our board members often. One of the areas that we encourage our board members um, as they're reevaluating their insurance spend given the current environment is you need to get out in front of these renewals if you are in a wildfire zone or a heavy flooding zone, 120 days in advance. You need to collaborate with your broker partner to go over the details and, and craft a narrative in terms of what the community is doing to mitigate fire risk and to prevent fire from occurring at that specific location. So things like, you know, what is the geographical um, uh, mileage or radius between your community and the next couple, you know, two or three fire departments, what does that look like? What is the average response time? What has the community done to eliminate heavy brush or heavy uh, tree exposures that can create fires in the event of, you know, fire and embers blowing in the wind, things like that? It's critical that your broker partner works with the board and general manager to communicate all the positive things the HOA is doing to the underwriting community to hopefully get a favorable outcome below what the current trend is. Now, I say favorable lightly because most board members are not going to look at a 50 or 100% increase favorably. I mean, that's just the truth and the reality. But perhaps 
what would have been a 100% year-over-year increase was able to be diminished to 50%, although it's an increase, by crafting a narrative and being out in front of it early is only going to set you up with a better result. Plus, given how limited the marketplace is, you cannot sit on your laurels and just assume one or two market submissions are going to be sufficient. You need to un uncover every opportunity that there is, and that level of due diligence takes time, meaning many insurers who are going to consider putting up limits in these high exposed zones where they're on the hook for significant dollars, millions of dollars, they're going to ask a multiplicity of questions. The underwriting is going to be very intense, so you need to give your board and your general manager time to go through these questions because every insurer is different. Every insurer is looking at this risk from a different lens. And although there may be similarities in questions, there are also going to be different questions you have to address in order to get a good result. And I think I said this last time when I joined the Uncommon Area, but the adage less is more does not work well in today's environment with regards to insurance. The more data you are able to communicate back to your broker partner and in turn back to these insurers to outline what you're doing as a community to prevent risk, to mitigate your exposure, how proactive you are as a board and as a community, all of these factors play into the overall decision on how an underwriter is going to view you and ultimately price and provide rating. Yeah. And so specifically for our uh, Texas associations, uh, what are some of the things that, uh, that a community in Texas should be considering with respect to budgeting and insurance premiums, um, even factoring in uh, wind and um, ice kinds of, of considerations or threats that they may be facing with their property? Yes. So if you are, if you are exposed to name windstorm or uh, hail, hail tends to be problematic in, place, in places like Texas. Um, we also have flooding. I would say 15 to 20% is a very conservative figure that you can look at. But obviously it goes back to how has the community been trending, right? What's the last five years look like? Has there been a frequency or severity issue? But if not, I would say 20% um, given the exposure of name windstorm and these communities, you should expect a higher deductible. So similar to the way earthquake insurance is, is structured from a policy perspective in California, is it's very similar to how named windstorm is structured in Texas, meaning it's going to be a deductible based off of a percentage of the overall value to replace the building. So traditionally, for your common perils that are not cat exposed, you're looking at you know $25,000 deductible or $10,000 property deductible. But when you are in windstorm climate, that can be a percentage of the overall total insurable values. And that's something that you want to be out in front of early to work with your broker partner to help you negotiate, you know, hopefully a lower deductible structure at a competitive rate. So in areas like that, Matthew, just to summarize, I think 15 to 20% um, conservative is a good starting point, but there are other factors that can accelerate that number, um, you know, at time of renewal. Great. Um, and then my last question uh, on this would be, um, my understanding is that uh, weather-related claims nationally 
um, can affect any geographic area in um, within the country. So, for example, if there are significant claims in South Florida, um, a uh, um, a board in Texas or in California shouldn't just think, hey, that doesn't have an effect on our premiums, but rather anywhere in the country where there are significant claims, that can have a, um, a cascading effect into other regions. Could you maybe speak to that uh, and um, if I'm understanding that correctly? Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And, and I can understand the logic is, help me understand, I, have a, I live in a downtown high rise in San Francisco, Los Angeles, or let's say Dallas, Texas, for that matter. What does Hurricane Sandy have to do with us? That didn't impact us geographically. Well, you have to take a step back. Insurance companies, global insur insurers are highly diversified companies, right? And oftentimes they are publicly traded. And so they have exposure and they are deploying capacity and insurance solutions multi-state and globally. So when you have a hurricane like Sandy that is exceeding $50 billion in losses, and a lot of those losses are insurable, and these insurance companies that are sharing the capacity and sharing the exposure are hemorrhaging billions of dollars in payout, well, that's going to create a hardening effect nationally in terms of property insurance, casualty insurance, etc. And what we typically see is a retraction, meaning they're going to limit capacity moving forward. Oftentimes when you have an event like that, they put a moratorium in that, that geography or in that zone, meaning they're not going to allow any new policies to be procured because of the aftermath and impact of what just happened. And then when you have a contraction like that, now the supply has diminished in terms of what's available to consumers like HOAs and board members making decisions to procure insurance on behalf of their communities. And so we have to think about it as, although insurance companies may insure your condo in LA, they're exposed to the global and national climate events that they are putting up insurance for, and that creates an impact. We also see a contraction in terms of them pulling out completely. And we saw that here in California, Matthew. We've seen it for the last couple of years around wildfire. Many insurers who used to you know, insure California, no problem, have completely removed themselves because they don't want to take on the risk. Their, finance, their balance sheets have suffered from it. And I always remind our clients, insurance companies are not benevolent societies. They are in it to make a profit and they have quarterly earnings they have to report. And the moment a geographical zone becomes problematic and there's no backstop from the public sector for that matter, they have no motivation to continue moving forward. So who ends up paying for it? It's all of us. I mean, when I look at my own personal homeowner's insurance, Matthew, that continues to go up at double digit rate increases and I've had no losses. So it's just the nature of what we're seeing out there, unfortunately. And what happens if there's a, um, an association that finds itself in a position where it can't get insured? Um, what, what, what do they do then? Well, I haven't seen a situation like that. That's a rarity. Uh, the joke in our industry is as long as you're willing to pay for the premium, whatever that may be, there should be a solution out there for you. Um, I think the biggest problem is not, not having, not, not having insurance, but having insurance that can adequately cover you at time of loss. So 
we've had uh, we've had situations where communities like a plan unit development in a high brush fire zone they really need a hundred million dollars for total replacement but the market and given the costs they can only procure 10 10 million which is 10 percent of what their overall exposure is so you'll have some insurance but it's not going to be adequate given what your true exposure is and boards and communities can't afford it because the capacity is just skyrocketing in terms of premium and pricing. So it's not a matter of not having insurance. The biggest concern is not having enough insurance because number one, you can't afford it. And number two, it's just not available uh, given your given your zone and given the location of where it may be. All right. Well, hey, Jonathan, is there anything that I have not asked that I should be asking for regarding boards and thinking about their budgets and insurance premiums? Yeah, I think I think it's important to just remember a couple of things here, Matthew. Number one, timing is everything. Throughout the year, you should be having proactive conversations as a community with your broker partner and your insurance experts. You know, making sure that you are educated on the factors and the trends that are contributing to these increases so that when homeowners ask questions when they're getting their special assessment or they're seeing an increase in dues, you are now as a community prepared to have that meaningful dialogue and based off of facts and what the reality is given today's environment. Get out in front of those renewals 120 days in advance. I remind board members, we respect your obligation to ensure you are getting the best result and adhering to that fiduciary duty you signed up for. You do not have to wait for your incumbent broker's terms to go out and shop the market with others. I will warn you, however, the market is very limited. So the the key to success is finding that broker partner that you trust, that you feel like can really do the job for you and has demonstrated a level of expertise and execution and allow them to have the marketplace in its entirety to get the best result. And the reason why you do that is because if your incumbent broker has already submitted to the marketplace, and now you have three other brokers going to those same markets, you now create underwriting confusion. They now look at the risk in the submission and say, who do we take seriously? And you want to be, you want to be taken seriously in today's marketplace. You don't want any factor that you can control as a community to diminish your ability to get a, a better result than what the current trend is. So, I'm going to summarize by saying actively communicate and collaborate with your broker partner. Get out in front of renewals 120 days in advance, especially if you are in climates that have high catastrophic exposures. And three, we didn't talk about this yet, Matthew, but this is a harsh reality. If you are buying earthquake insurance as a community in the state of California, start to prepare for a budget between 25 and 50% minimum increases. And the reason why that is skyrocketing right now is because we've had many earthquake insurance pull out of California. And then you see what's happening nationally. Many of the insurers that are paying out the claims in Florida and Texas, wildfires in California are also the same insurers that are insuring earthquakes. So they're taking significant rate to make up some of the hemorrhaging in other zones. So get out in front of it early, communicate collaborate, and make sure you are educating your your owners in advance in terms of what to expect at renewal. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Really appreciate your insight and, uh, and input. Um, and I hope that this is helpful for our board members and managers as they look forward to their budgets relating to uh, insurance premiums. I hope you look for other episodes of The Uncommon Area and find them to be helpful. Thank you.